Why not this year? Thank you, Cindy, for kicking off that sermon series last week when I was uh, otherwise engaged. <clears throat> I'm still trying to deliver that baby, I think. That baby is, yes, the dreaded kidney stone. A bit of humor for you and for the doctor. When I went and described my symptoms and told him I thought I had a kidney stone, he said, let's don't talk about kidney stone. Don't even say the word anymore. Let's figure out what's going on. I said, okay. So he did. He talked to me. I thoroughly confused him. He sent me to test. said, come back two days later. I got in his office after an hour and a half of waiting for him. He came in. He sat down. He said, well, you have a kidney stone. <laughs> I said, imagine that. I passed. I don't know how many of them in my life. It's just been a long time, and this is a little weird one. I had a certain a couple of other things go along with it that made it weirder than usual. And I'm not for sure, but what it's not still hanging around, it likes me. What can I say? It doesn't want to leave, I guess. So if I get strange faces and looks on my face this morning, you'll know that I'm getting reacquainted with that kidney stone and the sermon is about to grow much shorter. <laughs> but it's not been that kind of a stone so far, so hopefully it won't be. That new song was awesome. Where is David? Did he go sit with his family? Where is he? Thank you. That was great. And how about the instrumentation? Wow. Wow. It was awesome. It was awesome on both sides. Over and over again, we gather here for worship, and we are blessed by the talents that you share with this congregation. Worship would not be the same without each and every one of you. Uh, just thank you again. Where's David? I have to find David because sometimes I have to preach to him. Oh, where is he? He went out. He's hiding. He can run, but he can't hide. What if we were to risk putting God and God's kingdom first in our lives? What if we were to take the attitude, why not this year, to make that really our sovereign and focused approach to how we live. Now I know that many of you, your first response is, well, I do that already. Well, I'm going to argue with you a little bit about that this morning in some ways. So forgive me. That's part of what it means to be a preacher. It means to be a meddler. So I'm meddling a little bit again this morning. Why not this year? There is no power on this earth like the power that we have when we make a decision. Decisions and choices are what separates human beings from the rest of the kingdom. I mean, I am not a monkey. I was never a monkey, and I'm not going to be a monkey. Now, I may act like a monkey occasionally, but I have never been a monkey. I was created in the image of Almighty God, and I was given a mind and a heart to speak, to think, and to decide. And God decided in his wisdom to allow me that choice, even though he knew that he was taking a risk in giving me choice. He knew quite well. It's like asking a child which piece of candy they want, the big one or the small one. You're going to end up with a small one almost every time, unless they don't like that candy, right? I mean, it's a risk and you're going to lose. God knew the same thing. That's why the words of the first song we sang today, or the second song, really, was so important that we were being taught. God knows that we're going to struggle, but God loves us anyway. The grace of God flows continually to us, and it calls us to assume the same posture of living that God assumed, the risk-taking posture. 
If I were going to say what's the greatest weakness of the church in the last 50 years in the mainline denominations, I would say simply, it is just that. We're not a very risk-taking bunch. We're not really at the place where we put the kingdom of God and God first in our lives very often. Now, I know some of you want to argue with me about that and tell me how faithful you are, and I'm so glad for that. However, I have this against you. No, I'm not going to preach from Revelation. (laughs) It is an obvious reality that who we are is not all that God has called us to be. You say, how much longer are you going to talk about this? One more week. That's how long I'm going to talk about it. Then I'm going to start telling stories. The foundational stories in the scripture. We're going to go every other month through stories in the Bible, beginning in the book of Genesis. But let's just say right now, even, even in the backdrop of what Cindy asked you last week, why not risk putting, uh, being the best you could be this year? Today I want you to think about why not risk putting God and God's kingdom in Carrollton, Texas first in your life. First in your life. I really believe as the pastor called to lead this congregation that that's what I have to offer to you is to help you learn how to take who you are and the many gifts that God has bountifully shared amongst you and to use them for the work of his kingdom in the nearest places in Carrollton, Texas. Some of you are saying, well, I don't live in Carrollton. Well, you're not excluded. How are the surrounding areas? No, I'm saying that. I'm not going to say all the cities you come from. I'm going to say the surrounding areas. I'm meaning that when I speak. Now, see, this passage of Scripture starts out with a verse that we didn't read. That allows me to read it when I start to preach. And it's verse 24 that is the setup for all this cure for American anxiety. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth, or mammon in some translations, or I would say the world. You simply cannot. The struggle that most of us have in our lives as Christians in our And our drive to be a sanctified believer, one who's totally sold out to loving God and loving others, is that we continually struggle to how to mix together the world and our involvement in the world that's a necessary part of life here, as we know as humans, and the kingdom of God, which defines who we are and how we go about living. That struggle manifests itself in many kinds of ways. One of the ways it talks about in this passage is very clear. It talks about people being anxious about food and clothing and makes the stark point that just look to nature. I clothe the animals. I clothe the birds. I dress the world up with flowers. I I know that you need these things. Now, I want to make two disclaimers right now so that nobody gets confused about the rest of the sermon. First of all, Jesus is not saying, be stupid, and I will take care of you. Jesus is not saying, wait for somebody else to feed you. That's not what he's saying. He is not advocating shiftless, reckless, or a thoughtless life. In fact, in many other places in Scripture, he he says just the opposite. What he is saying is, do not live in a state of fear and worry about the basic necessities of life to the point that you fail to put God's kingdom first. 
That is the hard question. That is a hard task that's in front of the Christian. How to not be consumed by your desire to consume. We are the best consumers in the world. I served a congregation where they built a city to serve the city. It's called Retail Heaven. It's all around Stonebriar Mall and everything north and south of it. I mean, you can get anything you want, literally anything you want. You never have to drive farther than that distance to find whatever it is you're looking for. Everything is there. It's made to be pretty. All the buildings are new for the most part. They even have all the sports you want represented in some way or another. And now even the cowboys are rushing to Frisco, Texas. I don't think it's going to help them, but God help them. And God help us who still believe someday they'll have a team again. The same kind of desire we have for the cowboys is the same kind of desire that God has for us. It's not hopeless. It just feels like it sometimes. And sometimes when God is looking at us, don't you think he feels a little hopeless? Don't you think he looks at how we use our time and our money and our talents and he feels a little hopeless? He feels like we just can't seem to get it right very long at a time. He's embarrassed by the times that we're anxious about how we're going to live. We're anxious about the size of our retirement accounts. We're anxious about many things. I know. I've been anxious for a while now. I was here about 60 days, and I've been anxious ever since. <laughs> really, I have. And it's to my discredit that I've been so. And at times it's made me feel ill, but this last couple of weeks I've had more time than usual just to sit around and think about my life and what's going on. And, you know, I was thinking about this text. I was hoping I was going to get to preach about one of these days. And the, the point of being a follower of Christ is not to live the same way that everybody else does, but to put the things of God first in our life. And then all these other things will take a proper perspective. I'm, you know, retirement is a good example. You know, 2008 came and left, and the result of it is my retirement's cut in half. That's just the way it's going to be. Um, so what? I was going to have enough to eat beforehand, and I'm going to get enough to eat after. I'm pretty sure I'm going to find enough to eat. Uh, getting skinny, though, aren't I? Can you tell? There's the, the, there's the upside to being sick. <laughs> you know, it, it speeds along the process you're already working on. The reality is that God also knows that there are people in this world who do not have necessities. Now, I know that we can't spell that word very well. We, we really can't even spell it. We have to go to foreign countries to realize what it's like to know the need for medical supplies, clean water, food that's nourishing. We don't know what it's like to watch our babies shrivel up in front of us and die from starvation. Thank God we don't know that. Now, don't think that Jesus didn't understand that when he wrote the passage. He did. But on the whole, it is Jesus' intention for none of his children to be hungry or without clothing. And you say, well, what do you mean? I mean he intends, this is my short sermon, off to the side sermon, not the whole sermon. This is not really the sermon. This is an aside sermon. Christians are supposed to feed the world. It's simple. We're supposed to feed the world. And yes, we can. If we could, we could. 
We know how. We have the blessings to do it. We could teach them how. But unfortunately, societies are put together in all kinds of ways. And some societies won't let us feed their poor. They won't let us care for them. There are all kinds of these things that God has a struggle with. And the other thing he has a struggle with is we like to build bigger barns. You know that passage of scripture? I'm talking to a biblically literate congregation, I think. You remember the passage? We get more of what we do when we have a bumper year. We build bigger barns. We don't give that extra away. Okay. God has a plan for that. And I'm going to preach about that one day, but not today. If you remember it as you leave from here, good. It's a second sermon for you. But in terms of this, what he says is, it's a sign of having too little faith when you do not trust me and have confidence in me to care for you. We do what we should do and we make good and faithful decisions and then we trust God. I've been doing that now for a while and you know it really does work. And it usually works out much better than we could have planned it anyway. God blesses those who are seeking to make him first. I believe that. Now, I'm not saying that this is the kind of deal you see on TV sometimes or you hear about in some book you bought. I'm not saying that. It's not a guarantee. If you go out now and spend $1,000 and turn around and ask God for 10 to give it to you, it's not going to work. He, God is not fooled by such things as that. What I'm saying is, when you give yourself to God, God gives himself to you in many ways. Now, if you still are stupid, you can mess it up. People do that all the time. They make bad financial decisions. They make bad decisions about working and not working. They do all kinds of things that hurt them later on. They buy houses too big, cars that are too expensive. They get in debt too much, and then they wonder what happened. God, where are you? And God said, man, your socks are already falling off. They're so blessed. You know, I filled you with so much, and you just do what you do with it. And if you bought a new car lately, I'm sorry. Or if you have a great big house and there's only two of you, I'm sorry. I'm sure you need that house. I've got four bedrooms, and there are two of us. I have had a nephew for over a year. Thank God he's moving out in the middle of September. <laughs> I love him, but it's time for him to move on. My wife is shaking her head. I can't believe you said that. I said it right here in front of God and everybody. Might as well say it, because God already knew I was thinking it. Life requires good decisions, yes. But when we do those good decisions and we work hard in this country, we don't have to worry about having the necessities of life. You say, I know a lot of people that we help. Yes, there are people who depend upon us and upon this congregation. But they have physical and mental challenges that prevent them from being able to make good decisions. Those people were put here for us to care for. I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about the most of us. I'm talking generally here. So please remember that as we move forward. Trust and confidence in God comes from beginning to seek first the kingdom of God, the rule of God, the reign of God, the place where God's will is lived out in our lives, and his righteousness, which is a kind of obedience to the will of God. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. So... If you're a young person and you're thinking that you're seeking God's kingdom, but you really are kind of hedging your bet on the righteousness part, you know, God is a little out of date sometimes. Have you noticed that? 
God sometimes is a little out of date. You know, he, he pictures you wearing clothes not like everybody else is wearing. And you know that when you put them on and you go to school or somewhere else, that you know you wouldn't wear that dress to church and don't do it. Okay? Is that a deal? Don't do it. Because a lot of things we buy for ourselves are really not glorifying God or glorifying us, though the world tells us it is. There are many things in life that we seek to do because others do it, but they're not a part of the kingdom of God, except as a rebel. I know you only sort of believe that. I get that. But here's the thing to remember. I'm right and you're wrong. <laughs> Trust me. Trust me. You will be blessed if you present yourself day in and day out as God would have you to present yourself. Even to those who are abusing you. Even to that unfair teacher. Even to that student who's such a jerk. If you act as God would act, God will bless you. Righteousness is important. Right living because the kingdom of God and the rule of God in our lives is what we need. And the kingdom of God is in this first thing, immediate. It's here. It's now. And here's where I think this passage is speaking to you and to me as a member of this church. I think that God is saying to us, it is impossible to have two masters. We have to choose one or the other. I believe he says that to us often and regularly as he does to everybody else who's a believer. But to us particularly and cooperately as a group and as a church, I believe he's saving it, saying it to us because we need to choose one focus for our church and that is the work in the kingdom of God in our immediate context. Right here in Carrollton, Texas. What I'm asking you to do this morning in response to this passage of scripture and this message is to set aside your time, your talents, your monies, your efforts, your thoughts, your prayers for the next year, for the next school year, what we call a year typically in our regular lives, and to put the kingdom of God first. Now the kingdom of God, remember, is the place where God rules. And so any life that is not being ruled by God is that place. This church will have to grow if we do that. It will have to. It will be a byproduct of us seeking to teach others about the kingdom of God. It will cause us to get out of our house and meet our neighbors. It will cause us to talk about the people uh, with the people that we work about life and how life is. It will cause us to learn more about how to present the gospel and the story so they can apply to people's everyday lives. And they will hungrily respond to that. Not every one of them, because you see, when you seek to live in the kingdom, you become a little vulnerable, and that's what we all hate. I feel very vulnerable right now. The, one of the books I was reading about this topic was, uh, he was saying that uh, the reason you don't like to be vulnerable is because you feel naked. <laughs> you know, that's really what a preacher does. He comes to take off his clothes in front of the congregation to get their attention and to see the real preacher. You say, well, I've seen a lot of preachers. We never knew what they were. Well, guess what? They should listen to the youth. 
I'm wrong, they're, I mean, I'm right, they're wrong. See, I, if, even I thought I was wrong for a minute. The reality is, to become vulnerable is exactly what Jesus did. Remember WWJD? How about WDJD? What did Jesus do? Jesus, over and over again, opened himself up to be vulnerable to the Roman authorities, to the people that hated him, to the scribes and to the Pharisees, to the people he didn't know who he was. He opened himself up to them so that they might see who he really was, and he showed them inside himself. He showed them his undying love for them, his willingness to forgive them, his willingness to teach them. He poured that out over and over again to those disciples that traveled with him for that, those two and a half years. That's what it means to seek first the kingdom of God. Jesus did it. Now, he was able to do it perfectly. What would it look like if we were able to just do it regularly? Could we be satisfied if we don't know what the state of anybody's heart and our neighborhood is? Now, hear me closely about this, because this is the hard part. To, to be vulnerable means you're going to have to behave in a ways that will seem a little different to you. I am not recommending that you take your Bible box of apples and start knocking on your neighbor's door and when they open it saying do you know you'll go to heaven if you die tonight that's one way to do it it's called evangelism explosion and it was effective for a number of years in the early 80s that is not the way that we teach people to do evangelism today and it's certainly not the united methodist way first of all if you do that more houses than not will slam the door in your face it's not effective because they don't know you. You have not yet been vulnerable to them. What you're doing when they open the door is confronting them with what you think is right for their life. And even though you know that better than they do, you don't yet have the right to say it. You must be so vulnerable as to reach out and love them in ways in your neighborhood, rubbing elbows with those who are not Christians, so to speak, neighborhood parties. You know, I got to confess. I, I, I'll confess my sin. I won't ask you to confess yours. But I've not yet been to a neighborhood party. Why? A couple of reasons. I don't know any of them. I know when they go to that neighborhood party, they're going to be having uncontrolled fun. And I know that most of them are going to feel like they've had their party ruined when the preacher comes. Now, that's not really true. I'm invited to party. people that know me. I go to all kinds of parties. And most of them are having, they think, more fun than I am because they engage in some activities I choose not to engage in. But I'm just as happy and just having as much fun as they are. And they're happy with me being there. In fact, one of them called me to want to know if I was going on the big city hunt this year. I said, I don't know. Right now I'm hunting for... A little rock <laughs> will not be moved. So what I'm saying in saying all this is it's so clear to me at this point that if we don't risk putting the kingdom of God first in Carrollton, Texas, we're not going to change who we are. 
And I know you're going to feel vulnerable about that. There aren't very many Christians. Oh, there are some who are very brazen about loving somebody when they don't know if they're going to be loved back in return. But I'm saying to you that's what Jesus did. I'm saying to you that if we do that, God will bless us with righteousness and with opportunity to lead other people into his kingdom. Now, I don't know about you, but there's nothing on this planet that's more important to me than knowing that people are a part of the kingdom of God. Nothing. It's so hard when you can't cause it to happen. I was listening to a preacher talk about it on TV this morning as I was getting ready. He was talking about families and how hard it can be to raise teenagers. Did y'all know that some teenagers cause their parents all kinds of heartache? I know y'all probably don't know that. But you might know a few kids at school that are doing that. You know, they're just acting like little jerks. And they don't want to listen to anything about church or Bible or any of that kind of stuff. And parents are just going rabid trying to get them to do it. And that's the wrong way to do it. I even had... I won't tell that story because my wife will frown at me. She's frowning already, so I won't tell that story. But there are a lot of people that I associate with who they let me know they are not Christian. And they don't want to be Christian. I say, okay, let's just do whatever we're going to do. But before it's all over, guess what? I know something they don't know. And sooner or later, when they decide I'm normal, Christ is going to win them to his heart. Almost always. Whether they're kinfolks or whether they're neighbors or whether they're casual friends. So, we have a choice to make, I think. Since it's impossible to serve two masters, and I believe that God has called everyone to be a witness in their neighborhood. Everyone. I'm asking you to put a witnessing in Carrollton, Texas in many different kinds of ways above everything else we do as a congregation. Everything else we do. You say, are you trying to get rid of my ministry? No. But I do want to take your ministry, whatever it is, and I want it to be second in your ministries right now. I want a year of your best time and talent to work in this town to see if we can't turn around the direction of the kingdom of God in this place. But you have a choice to make. I can't make you do it, and I know that. Of course, I can preach about it every Sunday ad nauseum until you finally do. I'm sure I wouldn't do that, not at Christmas or Easter. And I know, since I know that I was sent here for that purpose, and I know that makes me very vulnerable to say, that's my agenda. So what? I've been vulnerable for. I just don't care. If you don't like what I'm saying, I'm sorry. Come back next week and I'll say it a different way, but I'll say the same thing. (laughs) Because you see, that's why God called me here. Because we have something wonderful to share. But we have to put sharing it first. We have to do it. It's just changing so many things just a little bit. It's not giving up anything we're doing that's good now. It's changing the focus of what we're doing. And it's changing how we're going to do it. I want to pray for you. Lord, we can talk about putting you first. And 
we're pretty good at it in some ways. And then in other ways, Lord, we're not very good about it. But what I'm asking for, Lord, I believe you've called me to ask for, is to make us a Carrollton Kingdom-focused church so that we might reach out in love and grace with forgiveness and caring to the many people who do not know you in this area. We're going to be a little frightened. We're a little frightened and worried about being vulnerable. We're vulnerable in so many different ways when we step outside our comfort zone of living with others who are like us. But your son Jesus did it, and he called us to follow him. So I'm praying, Lord, that as a congregation, we'll do just that. Give us the strength to contemplate in the days to come, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.